Hey folks, Katie here. What you're about to hear is a preview of the most recent premium episode of Blocked and Reported. This one is about the movement to decolonize philanthropy and an organization that decolonized itself right out of existence. If you want to hear the full episode, you can join us as a premium subscriber at blockedandreported.org, where for just $5 a month, you get three extra episodes of this podcast every month. Primos are the reason we can keep doing this. So please join us. Again, blockedandreported.org, and enjoy the preview. Okay, well, before we get to the meat of the show today, I have something that I think will make you glad to be an American. Okay, give me the uh, pre-meat, the appetizer. Okay, so, you know my favorite Instagram uh, account, Curse Cancellations? So the other day, they posted, reposted a meme from an account. I'm not going to name the account because I don't want people to go. Noah Berlatsky. I don't want people to harass the account because then they'll go private and I need to be able to follow it. Uh, so, but this is this account, it is a radical anti-corporate queer trans festival in Montreal. And they spell that, like they can't spell that normally. It has to be spelled like radical is R4DIKAL, anti-corporate. That is exhausting. I'm so tired just listening to that. Right. R4DIKAL. Jesus Christ. Queer has threes in it instead of E's. Anti-corporate has some (laughs) numbers in it as well. You know it's edgy when they're using numbers instead of letters. Yeah. Okay. So so Curse Cancellations posted, reposted this meme that they posted. Or it's not really a meme. It's like a flyer. Actually, I posted it. Jesse, I posted it in our notes here. Will you describe this? All right. So it's a just like a silhouette of a woman, or I'd assume a woman from the back. It says you'd assume. I mean, assume. I don't know There's if that's no right, but no. yeah. You were never meant to wear that poncho. That's in big letters. Then in all capital, slightly smaller letters, come heal your cringe. Then in brackets, clown your whiteness away. Cla- what is this? What am I looking at here? Okay, so <laughs> this is a this 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 radical queer trans festival in montreal they're advertising this event and it's a it's an anti-racist clowning event so let me just read you the description in this fast-paced light-hearted and energetic 45-minute workshop we will use the tools of clowning arts and theater to discover this is written in broken english maybe they're francophiles where lie inside of us the deeply ingrained cultural and behavioral traits of white supremacy culture the four collective games designed will foster spontaneous self-discovery with verbal shares and theory transmission kept to a strict minimum. Participants leave this workshop in high spirits, energized by the new possibilities found inside them, feeling empowered both by having performed with and in front of peers. I'm going the- back to Germany. <laughs> <laughs> That's enough. <laughs> I'm going like maybe they have this in Germany, but I don't understand it, so it doesn't affect me. Okay, continue. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, this workshop has been designed with BIPOC accessibility in mind, where potentially harm-causing situations have been intentionally reduced to a minimum following the facilitator's wishes to offer to experience delightfully cathartic or aha moments to anyone affected by white supremacy, cultural culture, or behavioral and conditioning, blah, blah, blah. It continues. And then it ends, of course, by asking white participants to make a donation to be redistributed as reparations towards BIPOC. So it's a, a Uh, an event where you go and you do clowning and also talk about white supremacy. It's like a combination of like... Like a circus? Yeah, it's a combination of like a circus and like a race to dinner slash Robin D'Angelo workshop. It's like clown to dinner. Yeah, (laughs) clown to dinner. And so they It does seem clownish. I'll give it (laughs) It that. It does, it does. So they posted this on Instagram. And then the best part is the comments. 
Someone, they, uh, apparently they didn't think this was going to go poorly, but someone writes, it's troubling that, and they name the organization, endorses the idea that whiteness and white privilege are things you can rid yourself of. <laughs> Literal clownery aside, that's a fundamental misunderstanding of how white supremacy operates and how white people should counteract it, mm-hmm. naturally. Mm-hmm. Someone else writes, maybe white people should not be feeling lighthearted or delightfully cathartic or energized when learning about racism. And then so the group responds to these comments, says everyone is making very valid points, and I thank you for sharing your feedback. It is clear that this event is not sitting well with many people. The festival committee will discuss this matter and respond ASAP. I apologize for any harm caused, and we will work to address it. Okay. Fast forward several hours later. They post another statement announcing that not only are they calling off the anti-racist clowning workshop, they will also be canceling the forthcoming monogamy games. What are the? Which was, quote, <laughs> which was, quote, being offered by the same organizer. The collective did not feel comfortable continuing to host the event without having a proper conversation and understanding of the event. They, of course, promised to do better in solidarity. I heard that the um, monogamy games are fun at first, yeah, but get pretty, kind of boring. pretty quickly get kind of boring yeah. and routine. And by the end, like people don't really want to participate anymore. Yeah. So anyway, that's what's happening in Montreal. So aren't you glad to be in America now? Yeah, man. It's uh, it's a great place. Um, the mono- I'm just still so... I guess I'll have to look up the monogamy games later, not on the company clock, but I'm very yeah. confused by what that could be. But uh, I'm sad the... I feel like using clowns to fight white supremacy... Um, had some potential, and I'm sad that we won't see if that experiment will succeed. I wonder, is clowning technically whiteface? I guess it depends on the race. What race? I guess clowns are their own race. Yeah. Right? They're, yeah, that's there's four races, and the fourth one is clowns. Jews, whites, Asians, White, clowns. brown, yellow, black, clowns. Okay, there's five. Um, by the way, Corinna gave me, we set up the, the tech coming by, but she gave me one last heart emoji on the way out. So, so it's on. Things are looking pretty good. It's on. Well, I, I, you need to write back to her. Will you be there? <laughs> Corinna, this is going to sound weird, but would you accompany the tech to my apartment <laughs> and then perhaps to dinner afterwards? <laughs> I know you live in India and are a computer. Well, but... That's racist of you. Um, <laughs> oh, come on. Okay, Katie. We could sit here talking about clowning and white supremacy and crazy taxi drivers all day, but you have a story to tell me. Yes, Jesse. Today we're going to be talking about looting And not the sort of looting happening at your local Lululemon, but the looting of one of the largest foundations in the UK. Before we get to that, have you ever heard the the term decolonized philanthropy or decolonized charity? I think at this point, I've heard every construction involving decolonize and basically every noun in the dictionary. We need to decolonize everything. Have we decolonized clowning yet? I was going to make the exact same joke. We're so now that we're in the same country, we're back on the same wavelength. I it's guess so. beautiful. Um, yeah, I decolonizing something is it's one of these things where like, okay, so you know how these days everything is genocide? I do, yeah. So like obviously there was you probably don't know about this cuz you don't you don't care about stuff like this. There was colonization and like a big swath you probably again you don't know any of this but a big swath of the the middle east the quote-unquote far east and uh the middle east were colonized and you had to decolonize them it was important at the time those were like really important urgent moral fights but now it's like we need to yoga classes yeah we need to decol there was a book i didn't like on the syllabus so we need to decolonize the yes. Bard College English Department. Decolonize podcasting, decolonize, yeah, De- you got to decolonize mm-hmm. everything. Okay, so 
This is a movement that has grown in recent years, and the basic idea is that philanthropic giving has a dark side that is closely connected with the concepts of paternalism and white white saviorism, white white supremacy, and you know white saviorism. Like it, it does sound like a social justice buzzword, but I I think it actually does describe a legitimate and sometimes legitimately problematic concept, which is basically outsiders with money coming into an area and trying to solve problems without adequate understanding of how the community works or what the problem is or, or what the community needs. And do you think it's a legitimate concept? Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I would always call it that, but I think I think there's a, a tendency um, to swoop into a distant situation and try to throw money at it and not get buy-in from people on the ground. It's, that's all legit. And right. that that's like part of the reason organizations like GiveWell have sprung up um, to try to do like effective charity and altruism. Right. Explain that. What does GiveWell do in particular? Um, GiveWell basically is, and it, it's tricky because I now have someone close to me working for them, but even before he started working there, I, I, I um, the last two years I stole Matt Iglesias' idea and I give a subset of, um, a percentage of my newsletter uh, revenue I give to them. They basically do research to figure out which charities actually help people, like how you can actually save lives or, or improve lives by giving money, which is like seems like an obvious thing. But for most of the history of charity and philanthropy, you don't really know if your money is going into a black hole or to throw really fancy galas or if it's actually getting into the hands uh, of people who need it. So that's the idea of effective altruism. And uh, do you write the track directly to GiveWell or directly to Sam Bankman-Fried? I just I just continued supporting him. I think the charges against him are false. No, um, he he that stuff's way too complicated to get into. But I don't think anything involving some people like including people we don't like, we're like, oh, this proves like effective altruism is bad. And I think some of the critiques of effective altruism have not been good faith. Obviously, it attracts some weirdos and some zealots, but like what what doesn't? Yeah, true. Okay, so uh, as an example of, you could call this white saviorism, I think making it racial is a bad is a bad idea for various reasons, but there can be forms of philanthropy or charitable giving that have unintended consequences. Well, can I just say what what one reason it's it's dumb to call it white saviorism is like I think one of the things that happens in conflict zones or in like really underdeveloped countries is like the money ends up in the hands of like corrupt locals or a militia or junta or something. So like, is that like? It sort of like robs the the foreign land of its like agency or complexity to be like that's white saviors. I'm like, no, that's just like shitty or it's like a dysfunctional American or Western European organization that doesn't know about the situation on the ground. Or not, right. right. Anyway, I'm disagreeing with right. you. Yeah. Okay. So this example, this comes from a 2013. Uh, this was an opinion piece written in the New York Times by Peter Buffett, who is the son of not Jimmy Buffett but Warren Buffett. And the piece is called The Charitable Industrial Complex. And he mentions a condom distribution program in an area with a lot of brothels that led to a uh, higher price market for raw dogging, right? So just that's just an example of the unintended, unintended consequences. consequences of yeah, yeah, yeah. And a more obvious or common example would be, uh, you know, missionary work where a church group might go to build a school in Africa without realizing that they're undercutting the existing educational system. So stuff like that. Yeah, it's not really charity, but it, like I think one of the worst examples involved like, you know, the U.S. will be trying to subdue some area. Will be like. 
uh, to the locals. If you turn in someone who's in the Taliban, we'll give you money. And then obviously people mm-hmm. will just like turn in their like, in like I would turn you <laughs> in in that situation. Like sure. Katie's totally in the Taliban. For sure. I am. I am Muslim. I am in the Taliban. Okay. So uh, the term white Sierraism itself, it comes from critical race theory and post-colonial studies. And it was initially applied to work in developing nations, Africa maybe in particular. But combating white Sierraism and decolonizing philanthropy has become a bit of a cause celeb beyond international philanthropy in the last few years as part of the spread of, you know, social justice ideology, wokeism, whatever, whatever you want to call it. So basically, like many American institutions, the philanthropy world has been caught up in a racial reckoning, as it is called. And this has come with a fair amount of guilt and reclamation. So as an example, here's a paragraph from an essay that was published in Nonprofit Quarterly called Freeing Ourselves from Colonial White Savior Models of Philanthropy. The piece was written by two, two women. Both are directors of nonprofits. Quote, As a white female executive director of a grant-making organization that has only ever funded community organizations in southern and eastern Africa, I, Nina, that's Nina Blackwell, she's one of the authors, wish that it hadn't taken George Floyd's murder to have my fellow funders and philanthropists wake up. I was also reminded again that the system of global North philanthropy favors people who look like me. The very fact that I was chosen for this role, having never lived on the African continent, was perpetuating neocolonialism, white supremacy, and anti-blackness. Okay, as with so much of this stuff, there's like a kernel of truth there, but there's no way this person actually thinks that just by being white, she's perpetuating neocolonialism and white supremacy, like... These are terms that should she have... She very male white believe that. That's She said white believe that for the Freudian <laughs> slip. Um, She's been to too many rays for dinners. It's just like... Clown for what, dinners. I don't know, man. These terms should mean real things. Like, I guess neocolonialism. But like white supremacy means like a very specific thing. She's really saying like I was perpetuating... All right, anyway, continue. It's so... Jesse... But it's also like reading something from like another time. This was 2019, you said? No, this was 2022. Wow, that almost seems late. I feel like the the, the peak of these crazy mea yeah. culpas was like toward the end of 2020. I don't know. Anyway, it's just it's just the, yeah. the uh, definitional slippage uh, gets to me. I mean, yeah, white supremacy, I would say even like five years ago, except in like hyper progressive spaces would have meant something like, I don't know, joining the KKK not directing a nonprofit that gives money to Africans. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> Concept creep. <laughs> so there's been a lot of talk in this world about how to solve this problem, how to decolonize philanthropy. And today we're going to be discussing an organization that decolonized itself right out of business. The foundation is called Lan Kelly Chase, and it started out as two separate foundations that then merged, both based in the UK. The first one was founded in, in 1962 by an English land developer and philanthropist named Major A.E. Allnott. Nope, that's, not, that's not a real it was name. Originally, yep. <laughs> AI. It was, ori- <laughs> it was originally called Chase Charity, and the initial mission was to buy up and fix up an art gallery in London and make it a space for artists and musicians. But then uh, the good major had a disagreement with the owner of the gallery, who was a carpet millionaire named Mex- Mexides. is how it's spelled. Metoxides? Metoxides. None of these people are real. Have you been, like, fallen for some scam? This is, so it's major A.E. All that versus Metaxides. 
Yeah. What solo name? Okay. This is, these are British people. Uh, so they had a disagreement over the price and scrapped that idea and pivoted to funding, quote, almshouses, universities, parish churches, public art galleries, and other historic buildings of interest and beauty. This does sound like rich person philanthropy. Like, I have a lot of money. Let's buy Let's buy a art gallery. <laughs> let's buy pretty stuff. And yeah, let's make buy it pretty stuff. So the Lane Kelly Foundation, meanwhile, that was founded by major all-knots protege Ronald Diggins, also apparently <laughs> a real name. <laughs> These sound like the names, the racist names that J.K. Rowling wrote for her Harry Potter characters. Uh, yeah. uh, that was founded in 1968. Uh, the two always had some connection due to the closeness of their founders, but they maintained distinct missions until they merged in 2003, and it became known as Lane Kelly Chase. Um, and it was... It is or was the 79th largest charitable foundation in the UK with an endowment of over 130 million pounds. And they disperse that money to other charitable groups in the form of grants. Okay. So wait, that seemed like a pretty wide purview. They said their goal was to fund almshouses, universities, parish churches, public art galleries, and other historic buildings of interest and beauty. Yeah. So what exactly are they spending their like money on? Okay. So from the very beginning... Neither Chase Charity or Land Kelly Foundation had a particularly clear mission. Like I read you that list of things that they fund. It's from churches to universities, just sort of an array. Only of pretty churches, right. not ugly storefront churches. Right. It's like a grab bag situation. So like at one point, Chase funded a nursing order of nuns. They also funded rape crisis centers, Parkinson's research, ballet scholarships. So all over the map. And Land Kelly was equally as disjointed in their mission. So they funded schools in Northern Ireland, charities that support prisoners' families, and then they bought, quote, land or buildings where enterprises could flourish. <laughs> Is this like a money laundering thing? It sounds like it, doesn't it? So neither organization was very focused in their giving. And then when they merged, that ethos maintained. So more recent projects after the merger included funded funding community-based women's services, providing low-interest loans for low-income people, and they helped fund something called the Social Income Bond, which focuses on, quote, reducing reoffending amongst all short-sentence prisoners released from HMP Peterborough, which I assume is a prison. Is HMP her or his majesty's prison? (laughs) That had not occurred to me, but probably yes. It was her and now it's his. So let me just say that, uh, not to be a fanboy for (laughs) GiveWell, but everything you're describing where it's like not a clear mission, they give to all these causes, like this is exactly why effective altruism popped up because Mm -hmm. the way humans work, you you have to sort of assume that maybe some of the money they're giving to, it's like, cause their friends run a charity or they thought a building was pretty. Uh, anyway, I'm just like this so far, this sounds like a not particularly well run organization. And you would not be telling me this story if the end was like, <laughs> and it turned out they did really good work. So basically the trustees of the foundation, so that's the governing board essentially, could fund whatever the fuck they felt like it. And that meant that, yes, Land Kelly Chase was the perfect candidate for values drift. They had a vaguely defined purpose and wide leeway granted to trustees to determine their direction. And this naturally resulted in the complete cannibalization of the organization in the name of progress. Naturally. Which I will explain. But before we get there. All right, that's it. That's all you get. To hear the entire episode and much more, join us at blockedandreported.org. So thank you, and we will be back soon with the free episode.